reading tonight from um, the Gospel of Luke. And you can see it's uh, Luke 22, verses 47 to 65. And if you want to follow in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1058. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Jesus replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. Then he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy who hit you. And they said many other insulting things to him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we are able to come here together to hear your word, to engage and meet with you, to be transformed by you, to be sent out, to transform our communities in your strength and in your glory. May our hearts and eyes and ears be open to where you are and what you are saying, that we may glorify your name. Amen. I can feel my strength dwindling. We've, um, my six-year-old has got her birthday on Tuesday and we've just had a sleepover with two other girls. And as you can kind of imagine, last night there was no sleeping at all. Um, so please just pray as I'm standing. And if I start doing just, just say hi. Almost like a Moses moment. Just hold your hands up. So the title of today's sermon um, is A King Who Was Betrayed and deserted. 
Jesus warns. Jesus warns that he would be a stumbling block to many. And coming in new to um, the faith, reading the Gospels, especially the events leading up to the cross, seeing all the suffering, the pain, the humiliation, the beatings and death that Jesus goes through does not sound like the king that we have read in our Psalms or sung about. Jesus, who was fully God, fully human, that at any moment he could have gotten out of any of those situations and revealed his full nature and forced those who were mocking him, ridiculing him, to bow down and worship him. Because I'm telling you, that's what I would do. If I had that power, I would put a stop to that and show who was actually in charge. But it's this reason itself why Jesus says that he would be that stumbling block. Because there is no way I could see the God of all creation, the God who would tear down cities, would allow himself to go through this kind of humiliation, to be treated this way. And reading our scripture today, it can very much appear that Jesus has no power or influence that even his own friends denied him, and those who followed betray him. And those he met with during the days in the temple who he taught beat him and mock him, and we hear later shout crucify him. It's far from any king I know. Does that sound like a king that you know? So let's have a look at what we've read today, that there are three scenes Jesus being arrested, Jesus being betrayed, and Jesus being beaten and mocked. So Jesus being arrested. Within the arrest, we have Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. His disciples reacting and cutting off an ear. And I'm sure you know, they wanted to do much worse. We see Jesus challenging the time of the night that they approached him, when during the day he was there teaching him and they said and did nothing. But even as Jesus is being betrayed, Jesus remains calm and confident as he dominates the scene, as he dramatically calls out Judas' action as a lack of faith. And then we see Judas go into the background. Jesus then rebukes the impulsive behaviours of his disciples And by this, even gives permission for his own arrest. By Jesus responding to this impulsive action, he is directing them not to interfere. He is telling them that these things must be allowed to happen because somehow it fulfills some bigger purpose, a bigger plan. Jesus then reverses this mishap by healing the ear, And that even at this stage, Jesus reveals himself to be the great healer, one of love and compassion. So in this first stage, we see that the crowd has pretty much done nothing at all. Only Judas and the disciples have played minor roles. But the action has been dominated by Jesus. And Jesus finishes here by revealing the true nature of this nocturnal visitation. That it's the result of something darker, something more sinister. 
But this hour, this hour was divinely ordained when darkness will reign for a greater purpose. And so as this episode reaches its end, Jesus submits without struggle and he is taken off to the house of the high priest. So we come to the next scene. That under pressure, Peter is following from afar and Peter takes up a vantage point near a fire in the courtyard of the high priest's house in order to see what becomes of Jesus. Three times Jesus is revealed to be a follower of Christ and three times Peter denies it. Then we read that a look from Jesus and a cock crow shows Peter how far he has fallen, which brings back to mind of what transpired earlier on that day in Luke 22, 31 to 34, where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all out as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. So with this look, with the crow and with the rooster crowing, it puts Peter back onto the road of recovery as he withdraws and weeps bitter tears of remorse. And then the spotlight moves from Jesus to Peter. But in one wordless appearance by Jesus, he shows that he maintains the dominating presence that he displayed prior to his arrest. And so the attention moves from this devastated Peter back to the master that he disowned. The remaining hours of darkness are wild away with Jesus at the butt of cruel attentions of those who are charged with looking after him and keeping him in custody. That Jesus is mocked and beaten and is made the centre of a cruel game. This game is perhaps inspired because of the prophetic aspects of the identity that has been given to Jesus. So through these three scenes, we're kind of getting an idea that there's a greater purpose. There's a larger plan that is being interweaved throughout all of these events. That these events are not happening by mistake, but have been ordained as part of God's rescue plan for mankind. See, this is what gets me really excited, is that I'm a big fan of the Old Testament. I have a very simple kind of faith that if Jesus says it therefore it's true and the the Old Testament is key and I've been told by so many people um, and and at Christchurch that actually you just need the New Testament you know I've even been told once you just need Luke Um, they have no idea what they're talking about because you need to understand the Old Testament as the Old Testament reveals to us why we need saving It reveals to us how God deals with humanity and it shows to us God's rescue plan for us. As the Old Testament points to the one who is going to execute the plan so that there can be no confusion and no doubt to the one who is going to save us. 
In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding to Jesus. Jesus' birth, life and death. And the events that we have heard today have been prophesied over hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. King David prophesied that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Does that bring you back to the Last Supper? As Judas shares that piece of bread with Jesus, and Jesus says the one who takes this bread will be the one who betrays me? When Zechariah 11, 12 to 13, it says, I told them, if you think it's best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price of which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. 30 pieces of silver is the price that they valued him at. This prophecy suggests that there will be some sort of haggling, that there will be some sort of terms in connection with the betrayal of Jesus. If you think, good, give me my hire, and if not, forbear. As Matthew records, Judas' words follows in 26.15, and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. And Luke says that the chief priests were glad and covenanted to give him the money, and the traitor consented. All of this signals to this working out a mutually agreeable contract. So why is this really important? Well, it's important because though Judas was willing to be an instrument to this deed, it's the Son of God who was totally and ultimately in control. Isaiah, we read, prophesied a lot about the suffering servant. Isaiah 56, um, 50, verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who poured out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Does this reveal this Jesus that was being mocked and beaten by those guards who stood there and accepted what was coming to him, that took upon that humiliation and that beating? And even Jesus himself, we heard, prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. So not only does the Old Testament prophesy concerning Jesus, it also shows us how God has set up rituals such as um, priests and sacrifices pointing to their fulfillment in Christ. The Old Testament reveals to us how God deals with humanity through the story of Abraham and Isaac, for instance, through the sacrifice of Isaac, revealing the salvation plan that would be fulfilled in Christ. Just as we can see Abraham would be representing the father, that Isaac can be easily seen as the portrayal of Jesus. And we need to understand that Abraham was actually well in his years, while Isaac would have been a young, strong man. Someone that could have easily broke out of the ropes, that could have easily pushed his father away and ran away. But yet Isaac 
was willing to be sacrificed to the altar. That he was willing to allow himself to be tied up. That he was willing to be placed upon the altar as he saw his father's dagger coming down. He was willing to lay down his life. But yet God provided the sacrifice as that ram. As God provides that sacrifice in Jesus. So just as a king who would willfully go through all of this, he is happy to lay down his life for you. In John 10, 17, 18, it says, For the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And this is the command I received from my father. And Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our Father. So what we have experienced is that these events have been orchestrated right from the beginning of time. That these passages of the Old Testament reveal to us a king like no other king. A king who would be born in a manger and not a palace. A king who would serve and wash his disciples' feet. A king who would be betrayed, denied, beaten, and would give up his life in order that you may live. This is a king that takes over 300 prophecies that have been written to about him to show that he is the one and only king who is ordained all these events, that all things are placed under him and he knows all things. So the question that I kind of pose is that if you do believe that Jesus is this king that the prophecies have all pointed to you, if you believe that Jesus is the king that offers hope and salvation, if he is the king that ordained all life, should we not be paying more attention to his words, to his commands, to the way that he has ordained life? We are seeing people already around us and within the church that is betraying Jesus, that is turning their back because of a few loud voices around them that make them feel uncomfortable. Jesus very clearly states what marriage is, how we are to live, how we are to love, how we are to put God before all things and from that love, love one another. But when it comes to it, When it comes to being challenged as Peter was, will we be those betraying Jesus, turning our backs for that bit of comfort and 30 pieces of silver? Or are we willing to submit to this king who truly reigns over our lives, who can transform us and our communities? The king who brings life and hope. Amen.